0: Welcome to What Bubbles Up, a conversation over beers about ideas, where they come from, the process people use to get there, and how to know when they're truly great. Now here are your hosts, Phil and Barry.
1: Popping everybody and welcome to the spooky episode 11 of what bubbles up <laughs> woohoo! show about ideas spooky scary ideas where they come from and how do you know they're great really excited about this show it's going to be a really fun one uh it's going to be scary it's going to be spooky and it's going to raise the frights uh speaking of frights let's talk about some scary drinks barry what are you drinking
0: all right i uh, i went to uh, i went to the store and i chose the most Halloween sort of like uh, a themed beer i could find so the Stone IPA there with basically looks like Ooh. Hellboy before he chopped off the horns yeah so looking forward to this it's also like sixteen inches tall in the can here so this will be uh,
1: this will be quite a long uh, drink what there are you, you drinking go. Phil Stone IPA they're they're fantastic I'm going uh, Halloween themed as well with a golden road brewing wolf pup as in Mm. werewolf pup session ipa coming right out of los angeles california where you guys first met let's pop that open and check it out
0: yeah and then while you're popping that open why don't i go ahead and, and introduce uh david bergantino so very excited to have david joining us he is a author of 11 novels, uh, the creator of video games and mobile games, and the founder of a horror production company, Cold Room Entertainment, with the tagline, you have everything to fear. So uh, that's very, very well. Yes, David is all about horror. David and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, He's one of the most creative people I've ever met in my life. So I'm excited uh, to have him coming
2: on the pod. David, uh, welcome. and, And what are you drinking? Thank you. I am. I'm, I'm going old school and ordinary with the drink itself. We have a Guinness draft here, Excellent. but I will be pouring it into a, a glass that I got on Easter Island. So ah. I figured the glass is the thing that's Halloween <laughs> themed here.
1: Yeah, I like So it.
2: That's Excellent. what I'm doing.
0: Bottoms right. up. Standing. Awesome. Upstanding. Yes, that's right. So David, David is uh, David's a fascinating guy. I sometimes jokingly say that that David is selectively famous. So this is <laughs> I, what, what I mean by this: is, is I like you, that. you hang out with David with, and he meets like a hundred people, and ninety nine of them are like, "Oh yeah, nice to meet you," but that hundredth person they find out is David Bergantino, and they're like, "Oh." And I'm like, oh, okay. Let me let me guess. You're a you're a Freddy Krueger fan. You are a uh, you're a horror fan. You've heard of him. That's what yes. this is all about. So selectively famous, David Bergantino, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show, David. Glad Thank you. to be here.
2: Fantastic to be here. Thanks for inviting. me. Yeah, absolutely. So
0: I think what we were talking about would be fun here. David has done so many things and come up with so many ideas, and this is a pod, obviously, about ideas. We actually thought it might be interesting to go through some of uh, the examples of his work and to talk about the idea behind each of them, um, how he came up with it, how he knew it was a great idea and things that he learned from the project. So you get to sort of get us a sense of the range of sort of like um, ideation our man David has. So let's start with... um, this is from way back when I, uh, you and I first met, frankly. So Wes Craven's New Nightmare. You did the novel way back in, in 94. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about that idea. Like, where did it come from? And why was it a great
2: idea? So when, when I was approached about this book, it was because I was trying to write a book on the Friday the 13th movies that yeah. they thought was really good, but they couldn't get published. So they said, and my book was very meta, before meta was a big mm-hmm. deal. That's right. but, I've always been, but I've always been into meta, like uh, <laughs> Man Bites Dog and Linwell's and, and um, yeah. Land Without Bread. Mm-hmm. And so um, they said, well, you know, we actually have this meta uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street film. Would you like to pitch for that? And there was a war between the studio and the book publisher, One wanted just a straight-up novelization, and the other wanted a coffee table book. Yeah, That was a scrapbook of of the book, of the movie. And one side thought it wasn't creative enough, and the other one thought it was too creative. Hmm. So I split the difference and gave them actually three pitches, one of each of what they wanted. And then I blended them into an idea, which became the book, well, that i wrote which yeah. alternated between a straight-up novelization and then the backstory of me writing the book so that it actually went along with the movie better than either of their other two ideas
1: yeah and they went
2: oh oh that's great let's do that
1: yeah it's a real charlie kaufman kind of thing huh yeah
2: yeah, it was it's yeah <laughs> Yeah, if it was straight-up Charlie Kaufman horror, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and they they liked it, and, and as a testament to how much they liked it, and, and it's the only time I've written a book where only one paragraph was changed. Wow. wow. Normally, things get edited, you know, to hell. Uh, as Even yeah. as good as it, they even react to it. This one, they only changed one paragraph, and that was only because... I referenced a film that was not part of the Time Warner new line. uh, Uh They couldn't get the rights. Yeah. Well, they didn't, they didn't want to promote somebody else's movie.
0: Yeah. Right. So talk, talk about the fundamentals. Like, I mean, you taught me this and I think this is fascinating, right? Like a movie script, if you're going to turn it into a novel, it sounds like, well, that'd be a simple proposition, but then you realize that a movie script is like what, like 99 pages, a hundred pages and a novel is like 300 pages. And so it's like, if you have a novel and you get hired to turn that into a movie, you're cutting something that's 300 pages down to 100 pages. But if you were hired to sort of take a movie, which is 100 pages, and turn it into a novel, you suddenly have to invent two-thirds of it that doesn't even exist there. Like, mm-hmm. talk about that.
2: Well, I, it's it's a it's a double-edged sword. Because in the case of adapting a novel to a screenplay, how many times have you seen a movie where you've gone i bet there was more to that in the book where it's just sort of like a clip notes version of a particular situation well you have you have the reversed issue with um novels or i'm sorry novels based on screenplays because you're right you have to make stuff up yeah and and the good news of that is the good news of of writing novels versus screenplays, which is it's easier to just plain write, like just yeah. you know just keep just to keep tapping on the keyboard, keep the words going, and then you know looks like I say always say which is writing is rewriting, it's not writing. So get it <laughs> out there, write all this stuff, and then go back and go, oh does does this even work? Mm-hmm. Um, but at least you have that that leeway to just keep writing. Whereas like screenplays are actually very difficult for me because. I get stuck in the the format of it and having to having to jump around to different types of writing. Yeah, so, um, and then the, the the danger, of course, the danger, of course, with novelizations and adaptations, which uh, is that you can you can make up the wrong things. You know, yeah. just because you know you you never want your audience to know to feel like you're padding.
1: Yeah, my my I was wondering about that because. So new new line is the house that Freddie built, right? And right. the 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 way that the Nightmare series kind of progressed from a very sort of cerebral psychological thing to a very very self aware, almost comically self appointed arbiter of my own story kind of thing that that Freddie became, and then getting to New Nightmare, and I remember that movie very well. It was it was it was it was more commentary on the genre that it helped create than anything right. else. And I would say the progenitor of the Scream series that that uh, Wes Craven also did. Uh, yeah, that was like, right. new, new Nightmare was the progenitor of, of, of Scream and everyone thought that they were copying Scream. They're actually copying New Nightmare. But um, but you, we see this in the Star Wars universe a lot, which is not horror, but does mm-hmm. the novelization of the movie, do you get into the situation where you're debating the the the, the true hardcore fans about what is and what is not canon in the world of Freddy, oh yeah,
2: I I don't get into fights with people over that, um, especially since uh, um, West, uh, new nightmare is very well received. It's got a this cult audience that I didn't know existed until recently, mm-hmm. and then my my uh, Freddy Krueger's Tales of Terror books have also seen a, sort of a, a renaissance lately, and. For some reason, no one's ever said, "Hey, you can't do that," and because it's very, the, this I've got this whole fan fan, you know, these weird fan people, like cool <laughs> fan people. But it's just like, really, you you, yeah. you think about these things? Um, I hear them um, aim these criticisms at a lot of different adaptations, but luckily, and this will probably jinx it all, um, I haven't I haven't gotten that. Accusation yet about canon? Yeah, that's yeah.
1: good. That's that's refreshing at least. All right. Um, so let's move. Let's on go to, to yeah. Go to the next one, Phil. I know you're going to love this one. You go yeah. ahead. Yeah. It's it's uh, <laughs> David Bergantino and William Shakespeare wrote the Bard's Blood series. Um, fascinating concept. Talk us through that one. It's uh, it, it's got to be a little bit camp, uh, but but it's built on real
2: literature. Yes. So. So I was, I was actually working for Henson at the time, Jim Henson Company, and I was at our publishers in New York talking about one of our games we were doing. And they were like, hey, you wrote the, those books, those Freddy Krueger books, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. They're like, <laughs> we want to do, do Shakespeare as a YA thing. You, what, can you think you come up with something for that? Like yeah okay, and then like overnight I wrote them a paragraph, a paragraph, hmm. and it's very Hollywood because I just jotted down a paragraph, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and I gave it to them and I said, well what about that? And they went, yep, that's it. And then I got a three book deal out of that. Only only got two books done because by then by the third book the the YA um, the the YA wave of that era was was washed out so yeah. they canceled all of their YA books including my third book and um and and then and so I never wrote the third yeah. but I, I, I sold it on a paragraph and I am also a huge Shakespeare fan so it is pedantically Shakespeare yeah that is fun I mean I I
0: I uh it makes me wonder, like, if Shakespeare were alive today, what kind of movies would he be writing? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah. I sort of, I, I, I think it's kind of funny because we think of Shakespeare as sort of very high minded, but I actually think that he'd be, he'd be doing like, you know, Fast and Furious Seven. As oh, yeah. we, I, <laughs> know,
2: I think, I think he'd be doing, he'd be doing Blumhouse.
0: Yes, because oh, yeah. he's, yeah.
2: he's very, I mean, high. He was really writing for, for the people. Yes. And he was, he Please. was writing, you know, he was trying to write for a lot of the stuff. He was using metaphors and, and things, but he was still writing, you know, the experience of people, of ordinary people, even in an, in extraordinary circumstances, even if technically, you know, the the characters were kings and queens, there was this really dark human base, you know, aspect to them.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, he humanized for the people the people that the people couldn't get access to right <laughs> right
2: and
1: right that may, if that yeah. made any sense yeah uh,
2: I'm willing to believe it did
1: yeah exactly <laughs> yes thank you thank you talk about meta huh uh, the people of the people of the people <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> all right <laughs> Let's let's go to number three, shall we? So uh, we go from the height of campy, you know, uh, in, intellectual English to Disney. Uh, now that there's there's something just lovable about Disney. I had a friend who uh, was a Disney Imagineer. He lived in uh, uh, either Burbank or some somewhere in LA. Uh, yeah, back yeah. Pittsburgh. Um, so so tell us one: how difficult of a transition is it from? You know the the written word to an interactive medium like video games, which is uh, what you transitioned to after uh, Bard's Blood.
2: Right. Well, I, I what it really reflected was not so much of a transition, so much as of, of a merging, because I grew up a computer nerd, programming my own games and things like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I, I mean, I I paid my way through film school by being a computer consultant for Showtime. So. That's how you can see this happened in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I, I put in the first network computers at Showtime and the first 100 meg hard drive that I partitioned three times. There you go. 1985, baby. (laughs) Um, And I also also ran the business in 1985, ran the business on a 800 baud modem between New York and Los Angeles from Cleveland. Nineteen eighty
1: five. That's war well, games type stuff right there. That's yeah. right.
2: Cleveland so, is the so center then, of, of everything. So there you go. It makes sense. Yeah. Sure. So, so then that was one of the that was one of the reasons why I got the Disney job was because I A, they wanted somebody who understood story and character, because up until that point, nobody cared about story and character in the games industry sort of in general, but Disney always did. And so they wanted somebody who got that. They wanted somebody who understood technology and games and game design as well. I checked that box. And then the, the funniest part is my first book was a horror novel that had people killing all bloody killings and things and you know and they're like can you do a mickey mouse game um, <laughs> 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 oh yes yes i can
1: <laughs> and, how many times does mickey die that's
2: all I do this, right. <laughs> but but what they really wanted was i was more although i did the the regular disney character uh games what they really had me doing was working on original games that were original ip that were for the core game audience and not the disney audience Mm. yeah yeah and that what they because because the people who were buying the those games like well what would now be call of duty and such they're not going to buy a mickey mouse game necessarily they know that they have to service that audience but in their vision for a broader contribution to the games industry they wanted somebody who who I wasn't supposed to necessarily write horror, but what they wanted was somebody who wasn't just another Disney
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But David, I don't know if you remember, but like it, our paths were crossing even back then. Like I, for some reason, Disney interactive was a client of mine. And I was actually doing some oh. advertising or the hunchback of Notre Dame video yeah, games I worked like wow. That. That. And so I remember I was over there at Disney Interactive and they had this one room, Phil. You would have dug this. They used to storyboard all the all oh, the games. Yes.
2: Oh yes. And cool. so
0: they were like they were like there were like 20 Everybody everybody had like a giant sort of like board of their video game. It would be like Donald Duck running around or the Hunchback mm-hmm. running around. It was all happy. And then there was one board in the middle. It was all black and horror. And there was like blood <laughs> and splatter. I'm like, oh, there's David. And then it yeah. was right next to it was like goofy running around. It was hilarious. It was all like happy, 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 dad. Happy, happy, happy. I'm like, yeah. yep, David, David has found his home. Your, yes. your influence is yes, there. Yes, That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. But talk about what it's like to write for a video game, which isn't necessarily linear, right, compared to a book, which is like super duper linear, unless you cheat like I do and read the back first.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Writing for video games is very challenging. For one, there's still very little industry standardization Mm. for what that really means. And um, because writing has only been in the forefront of video games within the last few years with the advent of Naughty Dog's games like Last of Us and Uncharted yeah. and, and some of the stuff beyond that. I love The Last
0: of Us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm.
2: And so, so it's, it's, it's sort of still a Wild West situation in terms of even what people judge as good writing in video games. Mm. Mm-hmm. The other is that there are various parts of writing In video games that you don't get in film Film, you write a script mm-hmm. Books, you write a book Well, you know, you write What you're really writing Is around the edges of parts Of gameplay In in games So you don't write a story from beginning to end You write a scene From a beginning to a middle mm-hmm. And the end is the gameplay And then you play, 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 play And then you come out of it and then there are parts where there is the the fixed linear video game part, but then there's the um, the the stuff inherent to any scene, like the flavor dialogue or what Uncharted does, where you can kind of do exposition while you're in the game. Then mm-hmm. there's then there's then there's interactive narrative, which is something else, because where you're actually playing the story, and then that has its own. Yeah. Yeah, That has has its own complications. Yeah. Like
0: Phil, I think about it a little bit like when you and I are writing um, Alexa skills and it's really almost like a, Mm -hmm. like a, like an, like an, and or sort of like it becomes a hierarchy of conversations, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's some stuff that's linear, but then there's other stuff. That's like, you know, you could go any of these directions and how are these things going to kind of like come
1: back together? It's fascinating. Absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a decision tree based on logic, but, Hmm. I don't see it being all that different from new nightmare because you're you're you're, you've got this sphere of content that it connects not just from one point to the to another on the outside of the sphere, but you got to go into the sphere as well to connect to an inverse point on the other side of the sphere directly. Um, And and it's sort of like a like a a visual manifestation or representation of of what how you have to think through that, that story arc. It's not an arc, in fact, at all. It's a it's a sphere.
2: You know, yeah, I honestly, it is my programming when I was younger that informs the way I write. Mm. Because because mm-hmm. I programmed and have to understand what happens when one variable goes this way, another variable goes that way, right. or you make different choices, that is in, that's now inherent to the way I think of stories, mm, especially yeah. if I have to do for games. But even if I'm not working in games, what that does is... is is I don't ever come up with a story anymore. What I do is I come up with a story world, yeah. and I and I create a bunch of characters and behaviors and environments, and then I pick from that depending on what I need to use it for. I pick from that what elements I need to create a story in the format. Then that I need to do something. right uh, algorithmic horror, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So 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 the uh, programming was actually very important. And when I was at Showtime and I was programming all of their systems to run all of their pay-per-view services at the time,
0: yeah,
2: um, I did this for three years. And when, they, and when they, I handed over my, you know, back when you printed everything out, yeah. all the all the code, they were like, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. Because I had this habit. Now, mind you, I was in film school at the time, and I'm inherently also a writer. I named my variables character names not variables like you would for for programming so all of my my programs and subroutines were stories and subplots about Uh, what happened with dick jane and and spot Mm -hmm. essentially
0: yeah Yeah. that's funny wow Yeah, i like that yeah that would be confusing though for someone who doesn't think the way you do i've got to imagine that the
2: uh, workflow on that one is tricky the good news is is i was very diligent about annotating everything properly and it worked and the programmer that took over with it basically took over said well it's it's eccentric but but it works yeah
1: yeah and you could never have uh predicted how readily that would prepare you for the types of stories that you're telling now and in 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 the method and the and and the the modality of that storytelling is it's custom made for basically a computational approach. Yeah, um, right, because that's the medium you're writing for.
0: Yeah, really tell us about tell us about some of your games like Feed My Alien which was an iPhone game. Um I I love that one. I I talk a little bit about like where that idea came from why it's a cool idea, and, and, and what it's like to write for a mobile game, very different medium.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually a cool situation. I had, I had become friends with a guy who ran a development company out in the Canary Islands in Spain. And he was a huge devotee of, of Disney animation. Mm-hmm. And so he created this whole world... Um, Well, he created these characters, and they were very, very Disney-influenced. And typical of the time, they had all this art but no story. Mm. And I also had all these contacts, too. So we joined forces, and I said, okay, what I'll do is we're going to do this. We're not just going to make a game. We're going to create a – I'm going to create a Bible. We're going to create a world, and we're going to – parallel path, we're going to create this game, Mm. and then we're going to – we're going to take part of it and pitch it as an animated TV series. Mm, nice. And um, be- and so the the game the game story was about uh, this alien. It was very very ET influenced. It was about an alien that's found by a um, uh, found by a little girl and then trying to get him back home. And in the process, the the whole story in the world was basically confronting. Uh, xenophobia and racism mm. Mm. And because it was all about people in the small town afraid of a thing and then realizing that there were worse things than this thing and this yeah. thing was actually kind of nice so maybe we need to help this person this thing against them yeah.
0: And, then, yeah and
2: and and then the the animated series was about the girl focused on the girl and was targeted at young girls uh, learning stem um, science. Yeah, because girls, the science and girls was was big. So like, and so the idea was, it was going to take two years for a series to even hit. You didn't have the problem of whether the game would kill the the TV series or vice versa, because a mobile game is only going to stick around for for six months if you're really lucky. It's still around in three years. Everybody's happy, or two years, everybody's (laughs) happy.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm.
2: yeah. If it's not then nobody knows that they're associated you can still do an animated series. Yeah. So I had all this, uh, we, even got the, we even got the deal, but, but it, everything fell through because everybody got greedy because that's what people do. <laughs> um, but it's the only time, we pitched it to Apple, it's the only time anyone, let alone Apple, especially Apple, has ever said, we really like the story. Can you put more story in this? Huh Really? Absolutely oh. got that from Apple. I was shocked. That's wow. That's cool. That's awesome.
1: yeah. So so with that then, uh, million dollar question, you've had a fascinating life story, fascinating work. Not ashamed to say I'm just a little bit jealous of it. Uh, (laughs) And I'm sure others would be as well. So for other writers, what what advice would you give them? If they're just starting out, they don't know exactly how to approach the work. What advice would you give them?
2: Uh, The most basic thing to writing is just write. Um, It's not a matter of going to school for writing, although that's a good thing to do. It's not a matter of, of, uh, you know, it, it, writing is a solitary thing. Mm-hmm. There's no one who can write for you other than you. Mm. Games are collaborative. There's, you can never, it's very rare that you would have a game made by one person unless it's a tiny mobile game. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Film, you still have to write a script, but the end result of a film is a huge collaboration to write you must write and mm. the number of people have come up to me and go oh you're so creative i wish i could write well then we could just go sit down and write mm-hmm. i mean half half the half the people i went to um film school with were actually terrible writers but they wrote and they made films mm-hmm. and the worst produced film that you'll probably see on netflix really down your your queue the worst Produced film is better than the best unwritten film. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yeah.
0: Right. I mean, I look at... <laughs> I look at your career, like, you know, if to get where you are, like, can you imagine you like to talk to yourself like 20, 30 years ago, you're like, well, first, you got to learn how to program. And then you (laughs) got to like, and then you got to like, sort of like, really have this appreciation of horror. And then you're going to do this. And then you're going to kind of like, jump on board Disney, you know, right when they're going to, I don't think that there's any sort of there's any way to kind of plan the very interesting career that you've had, but, but I think sort of like planning the ethic of writing and just sort of like sort of understanding that it's just the work that you have to put into it, mm-hmm. I think that makes a ton of sense. I love... I, I think, Phil, you and I see this a lot too, even in our sort of like little small corner of the world. Really great mm-hmm. writers come from a lot of different places and, yeah. and, and many, many instances are not coming right out of like an English major out of college or something like that. They were like a lawyer who like abandoned that, or they're a programmer, or they're someone who was a psychologist or something like that. That's right. And that life and insp- life experience, I think, sort of informs their ability to maybe sort of like understand and grasp new ideas. But what they all have in common is kind of that dedication to the craft of just sort of sitting down and doing it every day.
2: Absolutely. There's there's another aspect to that very, very important. I learned this when I was going to film school. And when I was told that uh, NYU didn't accept any film undergrads with their grad school program, they would only accept lawyers and philosophers and uh, you know, people in other disciplines, and the entire point was that these were people with perspective, and they were teaching people with a perspective how to use the tools to then communicate their perspective. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so, so I like I taught a I taught a class in game design to writers of any stripe in Scotland for a while kids writers, journalists, whatever. Again, because writers have a great sense of structure and that makes them good for design. Designers have a great sense of structure, but they're not so good with the writing aspect of it. That's true. Mm. That's mm. true. And so so that's why I say, you know, people say, oh, you're so creative. You, Oh, that's so nice. I guess I just turned into an 80-year-old woman. But, um, <laughs> but the point is, is we're all creative. Yeah, it, just because I write horror, write Spongebob doesn't make me creative, it's the expression, whatever that is, that makes me creative. Yeah, yeah, accountants get very creative at times, <laughs> yeah, um, but seriously, yeah. anybody who has a perspective and can communicate their perspective, they're the writers, they're the creative people to me, yeah, yeah. All right, so.
0: Hey, so you've got a big thing coming up. The 14th of October here is going to be a big day here. So tell us a little bit about uh, what's coming out on the 14th.
2: So uh, an indie game I wrote and co-designed last year is finally hitting the market. It's called Return One-Way Trip. Yep. You have to say it with that voice. Return One-Way Trip. (laughs) Good. I like Um, it. It's it's a little indie horror game, 2D side-scrolling um, pixel art game. It's um, it's inspired by Japanese horror like The Ring and uh,
0: mm, very AI, cool.
2: things like that. It's, it's short. It's about maybe three, four, five hours long. It's very story-based versus game mechanic based like there's no Mm. death in it there's no jumping it's mostly puzzle the the, the design is puzzles Mm -hmm. and that's and all the puzzles are integrated with what the story is so it's not just you know a random puzzle that you get to to open a gate and then the story is something else Mm -hmm. Um, very steeped in japanese culture especially anything revolving around dolls and puppets all the creepy stuff (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> clowns? Yeah.
2: Any, any clowns? clowns any clowns any there clowns there are no clowns although that that might be coming down the pike mm. oh um, all right all right don't get don't get in trouble Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lawyers are listening yeah. lawyers are listening but no it's 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 exciting because it's the first game for all for my entire career it's the closest to a novel in terms of it being something that's totally my story and view of a story it's the mm. closest a game has come mm. versus adapting someone else's idea or just kind of working around the edges about something uh, that, of something that exists you know this was i wrote the damn thing and, yeah. and and doing the puzzle design as part of that was really critical to my theory of integration between story and gameplay mm. And it's been previewing on, on Steam and Xbox lately and getting a lot of good press. And, and I, that's one of those things, you never know how this stuff is going to work. Yeah. Uh, games yeah, sure. is, is a very, very hard business, but I have to say for the first time in a very long time, I'm really kind of excited about the possibilities for this game.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Well, that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. Looking forward awesome. to that.
2: All right, Phil, let's do the
0: steal. Let's do the, what, what are you going to steal bit? Set oh. it up.
1: Wow. So yes, uh, David, as we do at the end of every show, we uh, like to pass the knowledge that we've gained in our conversations with folks like yourself to our listeners. And, and we do, we play a game called what are you going to steal? So, so for me, gosh, the it's talk about meta. Let's, let's go meta. It's not necessarily (laughs) about writing. It's about the unexpected nature of one's life and I just love this idea of the circuitous path that one can take to achieve the thing that they never thought they knew they wanted to be. Um, but you still ended up doing what you love. Boy, I don't think that happens a whole lot, mm, uh, mm. which is why I said I was jealous. But <laughs> I, 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 I do think that's, that's a good message. It's a good thing to steal, a good idea to steal, which is focus on the thing that you love and let the wind kind of carry you wherever it it, it goes, um, and you can pull from all these other sort of inspirational, uh, you know, nodules in your in your life experience to to create something that's wholly you and wholly new. Um, uh, and and uh, it, it takes certainly a, a fair amount of fearlessness, uh, yes. but uh, but but at the same time, it's uh, it's it's pure passion. Uh, yeah, and it, and it drives you forward. Who, yeah. who wouldn't want to steal that? Yeah, I agree.
0: I'm gonna go I, I think that that is exactly right. I I love that I, I've always been impressed with with how David's is just sort of, he, he's kind of like <clears throat> the universe has sort of told him where to go and he's followed it. It's been amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go the other way though. I, I and I feel like we've talked about this. This is kind of a constant theme that we hear a lot from creative people and it's just like you got to put in the work and it really is on you. I I think it's not a bad thing to sort of like say in in combination with that 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 writing is, you know, as David has described it, sort of a a a you know, who's I don't know what what is the quote like, you know, is someone who sort of like read something famous or so Shakespeare is like, you know, I could write that there's not a word there. I don't know. You know, well, <laughs> right. it's actually harder than that. Um, <laughs> But I love the notion that you just sometimes you just have to sit down and just do it and sort of the commitment to kind of doing that every day. It's something that I've witnessed. I've known David now for a very long time. He, you know, he sort of sits down and he writes every day and the people I think that you Phil, you and I talk to who are designers, who are artists, who are poets, who are, you know, strategists and sort of like creative idea thinkers they all have kind of a little bit of that almost like blue collar mentality to you got to sort of bring your lunch pail and it's the Cleveland and David, which he and I share, (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, just getting, uh, just doing the work, doing the work. And, and that I think is going to allow you then to sort of like to your point, Phil, like follow through on the fact that, you know, he's also followed his passion and, and so, when they I think when people see in David someone who's doing the work every single day, but is also really passionate and clearly loves what he does, he becomes like the person they all want to work with. And so mm-hmm. I think that's been the key to the success. Absolutely. So, David, thank you so much for joining us. We wish you all the best. We're all gonna like check out return one-way trip on the 14th.
1: Yes, please. Positive I press. I, I think you said it wrong, Barry.
0: I did. Do it, do it for me, Phil. Go. <clears throat> <clears throat> return
1: one way trip.
0: That's like right. That? Out on the 14th. That's good. good that night. sounded excellent. Thank you. All good right. Day. So let's uh let's take this one home, all right? So let's do like it. you know, people of earth, thank you for listening to one once again another great uh, episode of what bubbles up. Uh please tell your friends, please subscribe, check us out on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Anchor, and a zillion other podcast platforms that I can never remember. Uh, Phil, what else do we
1: have to to tell the good people out there? Absolutely. If you want to get in touch with us, please feel free to do so by emailing us at whatbubblesup at gmail.com or following us on Twitter at whatbubblesup. Once again, thank you so much to David Bergantino for scaring us and spooking us into (laughs) the good ideas that are going to come our way. We'll see you next time on the next episode of What Bubbles Up. Cheers.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of What Bubbles Up. If you'd like
0: to share some of your ideas or make a suggestion for future episodes, follow us on Twitter at What Bubbles Up or send an email to What bubbles Up at
2: gmail.com.